listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. Pray with me. God, there is none like you. You are the high king of heaven. You are the perfect triune God. We belong to you. We are in desperate need of you this morning. We need you to open our eyes to see your truth in the scriptures. We need your spirit to help us apply the truth to our lives. I need help. I'm a weak man. Would you speak through me? Help us to behold you this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's on page 837 of the one in front of you. If you're visiting with us today or if you hadn't been here for a while, we are in a series in the book of Ephesians called Identity. And we're looking at who we are in Christ. We're looking at our position in Christ. And we're asking that question, who am I? There's really no better place to look than the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. I think what we found there over the last... Eight weeks has been amazing. But we're going to kind of shift gears a little bit today. We have been looking at our position in Christ, but now we're going to look at how do we practically respond to that position, right? How do we live in light of our new position in Christ? Before I came to CBC, I spent a few years caddying on the PGA Tour. 2008, my best buddy calls me up. And he says, uh, hey, buddy, I'm turning pro. I need a caddy. You want to come work for me? So I was like, yeah, man, I'll do that. I needed a job. I wanted to get married to my wife. I needed some money. Um, and I'm a sports geek. And so having the chance to walk the fairways next to the best guys in the world was pretty cool. There's one problem. I had no clue what to do as a caddy. I had absolutely no clue, right? So I started calling people in the golf world. Hey, I've got this new position as a caddy. What am I supposed to do, right? And people started telling me all kinds of different stuff. Like, dude, you gotta be able to manage your players' emotions. You gotta be able to chart golf courses. You gotta be able to dialogue your yardage book. You gotta know where to hit tee shots. You need to know where pin placements are gonna be and where you can and can't miss those pins. They told me all these different things that I had to do. But they said, but the first thing you gotta do The first thing before anything else, shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts. Shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts. Doesn't matter how good a caddy you are, if they don't let you on the golf course, you're not going to be any good. So the first thing you got to do is shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts. 
Over the last eight weeks, we've become more familiar with this position that we have in Christ. Right? But just like I needed to, needed to learn what to do as a caddy, so we need to learn what to do as Christians. Right? And in chapters 4 through 6, that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to tell us how we should live the Christian life. But here's the question we want to answer this morning. What's the first thing he wants us to do? What's the shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts? What's our first step? Let's turn to Ephesians 4 verse 1 and start to find our answer. Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Okay, if you like to take notes in your Bible, I want you to circle this little word, therefore. Okay, an entire sermon could be preached on this little word, and probably should. Because here's what this little word, therefore, does. It connects all of the rich doctrine, right? All of the things that are true about us in Christ in the first three chapters. And it offers the basis that we should obey in chapters 4 through 6. Right, so it's as if Paul is saying, hey, look, this is true about you. God loves you. He has redeemed you. He has rescued you. Therefore, live a life worthy of him. Okay, and it's really important that we see that therefore is the basis of obedience in the Christian life. Right, because so many of us want to do good things and try to earn favor with God. That's not how it works. Right, we helplessly trust Christ. We receive his great love for us and then we respond. In our actions. Right? So therefore, because of chapters 1 through 3, Paul urges the Ephesian believers. He pleads with them. He begs them to walk worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Okay? And this word worthy is a great Greek word, axios. Right? And it kind of paints the picture of old-timey scales. And it means just to bring the beam into balance. To balance out the scales. So what Paul's saying is, I want you to walk worthy of your calling. Walk in the, in, uh, the New Testament is just a synonym for your conduct, how you live your life. So I want your walk to be worthy of what you've been called to. I want them to match up. Okay, again, if you're new here, if you don't remember what you're called to in this series, let me just briefly remind you what the first three chapters say about us. Uh, what good news. If you have put your faith in Christ, right now this is true about you. Okay, and I just invite you to take ownership of these things. This is your calling. You are chosen by God. He has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have been adopted by God the Father. All of your sin and Wickedness and perversion is forgiven in Christ. He has made you wise for salvation. He has made you valuable. He has given you his Holy Spirit. God has given you his own spirit, guaranteeing that one day you will be with him and one day you will be like him. Right? And we were dead, but God made us alive. We were not a part of the people of God, but God made us a part of his people. We now have peace with God and peace with each other. This is what we've been called to. 
What a lofty calling. Right? And so what Paul is saying to us this morning is, you need to walk worthy of that. Your lifestyle, the way you live, needs to match up with what you've been called to. Your obedience should resemble your call. And so what Paul's going to do in the rest of this book, chapters 4 through 6, he's going to tell us what that looks like. But what's the first thing he's going to tell us? What's the shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts? Let's find out in verse 2 and 3. Walk worthy. How do you do it? With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, so here's what we got in these two verses. We got four characteristics. Okay, we got humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. And then we have one charge. Okay, and what Paul wants us to do, wants the Ephesians to do, is to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's his big push right here. He wants them to maintain unity. The first thing that he tells these guys in light of their calling is to maintain unity. The unity that he has already accomplished. He doesn't say to memorize the Old Testament in one year. He doesn't say to move to Africa. He doesn't say to fast for 40 days. He says, no, no, no. I want you to maintain unity. First things first. Right? And here's a little bit of context. We remember to Bill's Bill sermon back three, two or three weeks ago. The end of chapter 2. Okay, and you had all these Ephesians who were Gentile believers, right? And chapter 2 says that at one time they were alienated from the people of God, right? They, they were, there was hostility between Jew and Gentile. There was absolutely no unity, right? One of the, the greatest hostilities in world history, really. But what God has accomplished through the cross is he has made them both one, chapter 2 says. Right? He's made one new man in the place of the two. Right? He's united them both to God in one body. He says, For, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So God has accomplished unity for these Ephesian believers. And here's the idea for us. Within the church, the most hostile of human relationships are broken down. They're smashed. Right? It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, man, woman, black, white, Presbyterian, Baptist. It doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, we are part of the same body now. God has united us and we have unity. And so what Paul says is of first importance for these Ephesians is that they maintain that unity. And here's what I think Paul would say to us if you're instructing us this morning. The first step in a worthy walk is a commitment to unity. The first step in a worthy walk is a commitment to unity. Shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts. And let, let me say this, you guys. This is not a reactionary sermon. Right? This is not a sermon where disunity is happening in our church and so now we want to address it. Right? This is a sermon that is happening because it's the next in line. And let me say this about our great church. For the most part, there is a very sweet spirit of unity here. And that is really, really good. I love this church. Our staff loves this church. Our elders love this church. I think our church loves this church. We have great unity. Okay, but what Paul would want us to do is maintain that unity. Right? Let's maintain. Let's stay the course. 
God wants us to be eager. To, he wants us to work hard at this. And so in this context, his desire is for church specifically, for the local church. Okay, but this also extends into our marriages. It extends into our families, into our friendships, life with roommates. We are to maintain unity. And so I just ask you this morning, are you eager to maintain unity? Is unity a priority to you? Because it's definitely a priority to God. And there, there's really two sides to unity. Two things that we have to take seriously. Okay, And the first one is a negative side to unity. And here's what that means. You and I cannot be people who create division. There is a zero tolerance policy for creating division within the church. God hates division. Do not be a gossiper. Do not be a slanderer. Do not be mean because you're in a bad mood. Bad mood. Do not do it. Negatively, we cannot be people who cause division. Positively. If we want to maintain unity, we have to be people who are committed to community. If we want to maintain unity positively, we have to be committed to community. And friends, let me say this. It's easy, easier for a lot of us to just not commit to Christian community, to stay at home, to read a book, to be on the laptop, to watch sports, especially for us men. Right? It's just easier. But, fellas, let me just remind you, the concept of a Christian not being an active part of a local church is absolutely foreign in the New Testament. You can't find one. Right? And equally foreign is this idea that I can go from one church to another, bounce around, just get a couple hours of truth each week. No, no. God says a worthy walk is a walk that's committed to this gospel community where we do life together. Right? And our edges rub up against each other. But we fight to maintain unity. That's how God has decided to conform us into his image. We have to be active in the lives of each other. I mean, you guys, how, how would your marriages work? How would your closest friendships work? If you said, hey, I'm not going to cause any division. I'm committed to not cause any division. But we're only going to hang out for about an hour and a half each week. Our relationships would stink. Right? In the church, we've got to be committed to each other. And so here's the deal. Some of you guys have been coming for a while. I'm just going to tell it to you like it is. It's time for you to jump in. You just, you got to plug in. You need to join the church. You need to get in a small group. Or you need to leave this church and go jump in another church. Right? Because God wants you living in Christian community. It's what he wants for you. Our command is to be eager to maintain unity. And that doesn't mean just not causing trouble. It means putting energy and effort into the lives of other people. Right? And as we do that, we'll walk worthy. Shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts is the first thing. Okay, so we've established this command. Believers must walk worthy by being eager to maintain unity. Okay, but now let's get a little bit practical. How do, how do we do that? I mean, it sounds like a good concept. You know, they liked this idea of unity in the 60s. But how do we actually maintain unity day to day? 
Let's look back at verse 2. The way that we maintain unity is with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Unity is maintained as these characteristics become an increasing reality in our lives. Unity is maintained as these four characteristics become an increasing reality in our lives. So what I want to do is just kind of take them one by one and work through them. First one's humility. Right? Humility is having a right view of yourself. That's what humility is. It's having a right view of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself as more highly than you ought to think. It's not thinking of yourself more often than you ought to think. Humility is viewing yourself properly in light of a holy God. Right? So we have the holy, perfect, triune God. The universe was one of his ideas. He is the ruler and master over us. Everlasting to everlasting. When we start to get a glimpse of him, we start to see, okay, I'm, I'm just a man. Humility is having a right view of yourself. Okay, and humble people maintain unity. Humble people are not interested in themselves. They're not trying to prove themselves. Humble people are not threatening to other people. I, I think, you guys, one of the highest compliments that we could receive as a church is if kind of words spread in this town and people just said, you know what? The people of CBC are humble people. That would be great. That would be success for us. But some of us don't bring this attitude of humility into the church. Right? And I'm one of them. Some of us in this room are very critical people. We constantly assess others, make judgments about them. Because this is not humility. This doesn't promote unity. Some of us hold so tightly to our little area of ministry that we don't want to let anybody else in. Some of us have ideas about the way things should be done or the way life should be lived. And if somebody disagrees with us, then we think less of them. Right? When we act in pride like this, it, it destroys humility. We're not walking worthy of our call. And it's, it's the same at home, isn't it? I mean, fellas, how does it work out for us when even though we think we're right... We want to win that argument at all cost. How does that work out for us in maintaining unity in our marriages? Right? Or ladies, when your husband makes a suggestion to you and immediately your guard goes up and you get defensive. In those moments of pride, how is unity maintained? It's not. Or students, if you're still living under your parents' roof, right? We, we want you guys to be so passionate about Jesus. Gosh, we want you guys to be so passionate about Jesus. But passion for Jesus and Christian maturity is not just feeling good when a cool praise song comes on. It's maintaining unity in your family by obeying your parents even when you don't want to. That's Christian maturity. That's humility. We need to be people who maintain unity. And humility is the first step. Now, if you guys are anything like me, you're probably pretty frustrated with your lack of humility. Humility is something I look at and I'm like, man, why is my heart so far from it? But here's what I would encourage you with, right? This week is a great week to start praying that God would cultivate humility in your life. Because let me tell you what I think is the best way to cultivate humility. 
the best way for us to cultivate humility is for us to look long and hard and constantly at the cross of our Lord Jesus. And here's the message that we receive. My sin is so bad. Your sin is so bad that God had to pour out his furious wrath on his son. And it's your fault. And it's my fault. But God loves you so much that even in your wickedness, even in your filth, he killed his son for you. To welcome you into his family. If awareness of that doesn't cultivate humility, my friends, that God would save us in spite of us. I don't know that anything can. As we look to the cross, the spirit will cultivate humility in our hearts. And that's the first characteristic that helps us maintain unity. Let's look at the next one. Gentleness. Gentleness or meekness, restraint, right? Literally power under control. And it conveys the sense of being willing to give up your own rights. Being willing to give up your own rights. This maintains unity. And you guys, you know what this does for us in our relationships. When we give up our own rights for the sake of another. My mentor Dave regularly tells me this story about his first year of marriage. When he saw the priority of putting his wife first. Okay, Dave, like most godly men, is a whole milk drinker. His wife, on the other hand, is a skim milk drinker. I know. I heard a ugh. That was great. Well, one day on the way home, Julie calls Dave and says, Hey, baby, I need, I need to run and get some groceries for us. Okay? So he goes to the grocery store. He goes, gets all the stuff they need, and then he makes his way over to the milk aisle. Inner conflict ensues as he tries to decide, do I get whole milk, which is what I want so bad, or do I get skim milk and put my wife first? Well, Dave... Showing great restraint, putting his wife first, he chooses the skim milk, right? And he gets excited because he's going to surprise his wife. So he wants to go home. He wants to maximize on this um, selflessness. So he comes home and he says, baby, I got a surprise for you. And she goes, well, baby, I got a surprise for you. He goes, well, mine's better. You go first. And she goes, no, 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 you go first. All right, at the same time, right? So he closes his eyes. She goes, gets her surprise. One, two, three. Dave pours out his, pulls out his skim milk. Okay. Well, Julie, er, earlier that day, she had been to the grocery store and she got Dave whole milk. <laughs> but here's what they learned that day. If we are committed to putting the preferences of the other before our own, we're going to have a good marriage. If we're committed to putting each other first, we're going to have a good marriage. Marriage is going to work out all right. right. And the same is true in our local church. right? If in our small groups and on our service teams and in our friendships, we put the needs of the other before ourselves, we're going to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. right? And if you want to ask yourself, well, man, how do I grow in this gentleness? How do I grow in putting other people first? Man, we look to the cross. Right there we see the most powerful of all men give up all of his rights for people who don't deserve it. We're to imitate him. Right? So we got humility, 
gentleness, and now patience. Long-suffering, right? It takes you a long time to blow your fuse, right? This has to do with trials primarily, this word. When things are tough, a patient person holds on a little bit longer, right? We all know that patience cultivates unity, or at least we know that in theory. Some of us have never practiced it, right? But what we do know is that impatience creates disunity, Right? Impatience creates disunity. When I get mad because I'm a little bit late because my wife has to get all the stuff for our daughter in the car. Right? Disunity. Or you get frustrated with your husband because he didn't communicate again. Or you're mad because your roommate ate your food again. Or we're impatient with people in the church who keep struggling with that same sin. Right? When we're impatient... We, we hinder this cause of unity that God has said is so important. And I want to share a quote with you guys that I'm convicted of on basically a, a weekly basis. A.W. Tozer said, When you're impatient with others' imperfections, you reveal your own imperfection. Say it one more time. When you're impatient with others' imperfections, you reveal your own imperfection. So if we want to maintain unity, we've got to be patient people. And again, we look to the Lord Jesus. I mean, just think about how patient has he been with you? How steady? How constant? How slow to anger? As we imitate his patience, we'll maintain unity. Okay, and then lastly, tied very closely with patience is forbearance. Bearing with one another in love. And the idea here is putting up with the idiosyncrasies or the annoyances in other people. Right? God is saying, don't be annoyed in love. Put up with that other person. This maintains unity. Yes, it's, it's one thing for us to be humble and gentle and patient when nobody's annoying us. But what we're being commanded to here is to be humble and gentle and patient when that person is on our last nerve. When the kids spill on the carpet again. When that classmate lets you down again. Forbearance. I've been watching a lot of basketball this weekend. March Madness. In my opinion, one of God's greatest gifts to the male race across the world. Um, I genuinely mean that. I love March Madness. I've watched game after game. And... What I've found as I've watched, there's great forbearance, right? You'll see guys at a key point in the game make a costly turnover, right? But his teammates don't get on him and spend the next five minutes chewing him out. What do they do? They smack him on the butt and they say, let's go. We got a game to win, right? They're unified in purpose, right? So they move on, right? They don't dwell on mistakes, right? And if anybody should be forbearing, my friends, it should be us, We are unified in the greatest purpose of all time, to glorify the one true God. And more than that, think about how forbearing God has been with us. Man, how how many of our offenses has he overlooked? Hmm. Personal affront to him after personal affront to him. And he's not held it against us. When we're forbearing, we maintain unity. This is what we're called to. 
shirt tucked in, salad-colored shorts. Okay, so to this point, we've seen the first step of a worthy walk is maintaining unity. We've seen that we maintain that by humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. But we've got one more question to answer. And it's the most important question we're going to answer today. And that's this. Why is unity the first thing? I mean, why would, why would God choose unity first when he's telling us to walk worthy? Why is that above everything else? Why is it so important? Let's find our answer in verses 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says, be eager to maintain unity. Here's why, right? And I want you guys to know, in the original text, the words there is do not exist. They're not there, right? So it just says this, one body and one spirit and so on. And here's the idea. If we were to ask Paul, hey, why is unity so important? He would likely just tell us one body, one spirit, one hope to which you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Our God is a God of unity. Our God is a God of unity. And these are our common fundamental beliefs. Right? There is one body. That's the church, the many people of God who make up the united body of Christ. Right? There's a universal church, all believers of all time and all places. And that universal church is expressed in local churches like this one, where we worship God through the preaching of the word, through taking in his ordinances, through living life in community, for bearing with one another's burdens. Right? There is one body of Christ, the people of God, and we share in it. We're united in it. And that one body is given life by the one Spirit of God. The Spirit of God makes us all alive. He unites us. He dwells in us. And he guarantees that one day we're going to be with Christ. We have this glorious hope. We share in one hope. We, you guys, oh, get this, please. We share the hope of resurrection and redemption. Death is not the end for us. Christianity is not some pretend thing that's a crutch just for this life. We have the hope of life forever with King Jesus. We share that. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is my Savior, and He is your Savior. He is my Lord, and He is your Lord. He is the only Lord, and God plans to unite all things in Him. Chapter 1, verse 10. And we get a glimpse of that in Revelation 5, where every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in them cries out, Holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. As they look to the Lamb who was slain, our one Lord. And because there is one Lord, there is one faith. There is one legitimate faith, the Christian faith. And the entryway into that one faith is baptism. Right? Baptism that doesn't save you. Baptism that just offer, looks like a symbol that says, man, I was, I was apart from Christ, but you know what? Now I've been joined to him. And as we go into the water, I've died with Christ. As we come out, up out of the water, I've been raised with Christ. And we proclaim to the church, once I was not a part of the people of God, but now I'm a part of the people of God. We share in the same baptism. Right? We got baptisms coming up in a month. 
And this is the next step for you guys who believe, but you hadn't yet done it. And it's a glorious thing. So we share in one baptism, and lastly, there's one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity is important because there is one God for all believers. We are a part of his family. Right? He is sovereign over us in his rule. He works through us by his spirit. He works in us to change us and make us like his son. We share a common father. And so the first reason why unity is so important is because of our common beliefs. We have so much in common in this room. We have all the most important things in common. I mean, think about this, guys. Over the course of history, there's been lots of people who wanted unity. Right? You got people who want world peace. You got coexist stickers everywhere. The kind of catchphrase or catchword in our culture is tolerance. But friends, let me tell you this. True unity cannot exist unless that unity is built on the same foundation. It cannot exist. Genuine unity cannot truly exist if we do not have truth in common. Yes, Christians are the only people in the world who have absolute truth in common. We're the only ones. And so we've got to take unity seriously. The next time you're tempted to divide over something silly like worship style or your husband coming home a few minutes late or your roommate not taking plates out of the dishwasher, remember we have everything that is important in common. We're part of the same family and let's live like it. But there's one more reason why unity is important. And the most important reason that unity is important. We have seven ones in verses four through six. But these seven ones can easily be broken into three groups. Verse four, verse five, verse six. And in each of those three verses, we have one member of the Trinity. One member of the Godhead. The Spirit in verse four, the Lord in verse five, and God the Father in verse six. And what I think Paul is ultimately saying to the Ephesians as he appeals for unity is this. The reason why unity is so important for us is because church, we are representing God. We are representing God. Quick refresh on the Trinity. I don't know if you could do that quickly, but I'll try my best. Okay. Here's what we mean by Trinity. Trinity is just short for tri-unity, three in one. Okay, and here's based the basic doctrine of the Trinity. God has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. Okay, so the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Spirit is fully God. But there is only one God. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. The Trinity means that God has eternally existed in three, three persons, Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God, but there is only one God. We have diversity and unity. Do I understand that? No. Do I understand how my iPhone works? No, but I really enjoy my iPhone. Right? Each of these persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, they have different roles. They have different functions in the universe, but they have existed eternally in perfect harmony. They're always living to bring glory to the other members of the Trinity. 
perfect in their relationship, unified. Our God is a diverse God, but a unified God. And friends, the main reason that unity is so important for us is that we are representing him. We are reflecting him. We are his image bearers to a world who doesn't know him. Right? I want you to think about marriage with me real quick. In marriage, you have a man and a woman. Man and woman are different. They're different in their roles. They're different in their function. Now, a lot of people don't like hearing that there's a difference between man and woman in roles and function. But let me just say this to illustrate why I think that it's very clear their difference in roles and function. If a bad guy were to break into my house, here's what I would not do. Hey, honey, I got the last one. Why don't you go get this guy? No, I wouldn't do that. It's my job to protect, right? It's my job to take care of my wife, right? So men and women, we have different roles. We have different functions. But in marriage, we're united. We're made one. We serve one another. We live for the benefits of one another. And as we do this, we reflect the Godhead, right? And the same is true within the church. We're all so different. Even within this room, the different ages and races and income levels and education levels, preferences. I mean, just you guys, real quick, take 10 seconds to look around the room. Just look at each other. It's okay to make eye contact. Nobody's going to bite. There is nothing like this institution on the face of the planet. You guys... The local church, the bride of Christ. What a beautiful thing. And we all have unity because the Father sent the Son to live the life that we should have lived, to die in our place for our sins, to conquer death, and the Spirit made us alive and gave us faith in the Son, and now we're united. We are one body, we belong to one another. We are diverse, but we are unified. We reflect our triune God. This is why it's so important to maintain unity. The church is a group of a bunch of different people who grow to love one another because of our common beliefs and our common holy God. And we're representing our great God to a world who desperately needs to know him. When I became a caddy, there's a lot that I had to learn. I had to get better at reading putts. I had to get better at club selection. I had to know all kinds of stuff. But the first thing that I had to do was shirt tucked in, solid colored shorts. God could have chosen to say anything in this little letter first. But he commands unity. Unity. And because our God commands this as first importance, we've got to take it seriously. Unity that's achieved through humility, through gentleness, through patience, through forbearance. Unity that is important because of our common beliefs and our common holy God. What's the first thing we need to do if we want to live a life worthy of our calling? We need to be eager to maintain unity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you have 
in your great wisdom, rescued us and called us into your family and made us a part of your one body. I pray that this specific local church body would represent you well. I pray that we would prioritize unity. I pray that we would delight in one another. I pray that we would live our lives for each other. And I pray that it would show the world how great you are. Be glorified among us, Lord. We are eager to worship you on the anniversary of your resurrection a week from now. Amen.